Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Church Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people take their next step to move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridgechristian.com. We pray that your life is transformed through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group life pastor, Tim Smith. You may not have realized it, but the message started actually with that song. Because there's a few lines in there that makes it very relevant to what we're going to talk about today. One of them said, you know, we turn our hearts and fix our eyes. We welcome you, arms open wide, the light of heaven. And I'll just be real honest with you, that has been my prayer since the moment started preparing this message. That as listeners, you would open your hearts that you would be receptive, that you would put aside whatever it is that might convolute your thinking today and, and fix your eyes on Jesus. And in particularly, what he means when he says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. But then there's this other line in that song that says, words fall short of who you are, which is kind of concerning for somebody who makes their livelihood from words. <laughs> But basically, it's true about me and about my preaching, and I would certainly feel comfortable speaking for the entire teaching team to tell you, you know, if this is just dependent on us, on our creativity and our words, then we're going to fall really short of telling you about Jesus. So I hope you realize that in this preaching moment, this is a participatory event that you, as you listen, would do so actively, and that I, as I speak, would speak what God wants me to speak, not just what I feel like, and if I need to change it even to do so. So I would like to ask you, as we start, let's just ask God that we would participate together by your receptive hearts and by our speaking God's word as we talk about I am the light of the world. Will you join me? Lord, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for you, but we also would ask right now that all of us as listeners, and that includes the one who speaks, would kind of put aside all the things that might drag us away and really concentrate on you and especially what you're talking about when you say, I'm the light of the world. Help us not just to hear, but to apply. And I would ask, Lord, that your messenger would disappear, that this would not be about eloquent speech or or fancy words. But while your messenger would disappear, may your word and your message be accurate and clear. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, understanding this particular statement, I believe, has application for everyone in this room. For the believer, hopefully it will remind you of Jesus' provision, what he has provided for you in the past and continues to provide you. For maybe that believer who is struggling with some unfortunate circumstance or difficulty or some temptation, or maybe you just go, you know what, I know I'm not living up to what I say I believe. For you, I hope that this will be a time and believe it will be where you can be encouraged and even motivated because of what Jesus says to get through the storm. And then especially for that one that might be here that's what I would call a wonderer. 
you're just kind of wondering whether this whole Jesus thing and Christianity is all it's cracked up to be. In fact, maybe you're finally here sitting in next to or the same row to that you know, fellow employee or neighbor or friend or family member, and you're going, boy, I hope this has got something for me because I, I not only want to understand what Jesus means by I'm the light of the world, but can he light my world? And so I believe that this is something for everyone. In fact, for the wanderer, what I want to happen today is I want you to become a John 8.30 person. What is that? Well, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and some of the words following, at the end of this discussion that he has after saying that, this is what this verse says. It says, as he, talking about Jesus, was saying these things, many believed in him. And if you're a wanderer, that is exactly what I've been praying about, that more than anything, as you know what Jesus wants to provide you, that you would join their ranks. Because here is what Scripture teaches us, everyone, that Jesus wants to be for every person in this room, and that is Jesus is the saving, redeeming, grace-filled light of the world. That is, he offers salvation from our sin redemption from this way of life and a grace-filled light in this world. He offers salvation, redemption, and grace to each and every one of us. So as a believer, may you be reminded. As a struggler, may you be encouraged. And as a wanderer, may you be convinced. And I believe all that can happen when we look at this I am statement. So let's begin and dig in. If you've been with us in the series, you may have realized, as Craig and Mike have brought this up before too, that these I am statements go all the way back to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. In that particular book, Moses, a leader, is asked by God to go to Egypt and be the deliverer for the Jewish people who have been enslaved by the Egyptians some 400 years. Now Moses realizes this is a huge task. And so in Exodus, the third chapter, the 13th verse, he basically asked God this. Suppose, as I'm, you know, going there to deliver them, the Israelites say to me, okay, you, you say the God of our fathers has sent you to do this. Okay, prove it. What's his name? And Moses says to God, well, what should I tell them if, if that's the question they ask? And God answers, I am who I am. That's it. Not I was. Not I will be, just simply, I am. God is telling Moses, I've always existed. I always will exist. I am ever present. I created everything. I created you, and I hold all things together. In fact, it is where we get the name Yahweh, which simply means I am. Now, this is critical to understand for when Jesus gives these I am, these Yahweh, if you will, statements, Anyone who understood Jewish theology and Old Testament scripture would know exactly what he was saying. Jesus was claiming to be God. The I am. I am God, the bread of life. I am God, the true vine. I am God, as we learned last week, the resurrection and the life. And I am God, the light of the world. And he couldn't have chosen a more relevant time or place to say, I'm the light of the world. Jesus is in the temple. Now, in Jesus' time, the Jews were great at throwing parties. They called them festivals or, or feasts. And this particular time frame is the festival or feast of the tabernacles. Now, 
You can go and read up all the details on that, but basically it was a time when the Israelites remembered how God delivered them from slavery and specifically how God had guided them in the wilderness. Now, inside the temple at the festival, there were four great candelabra prepared, and at a certain time, all the people would surround these candelabras, and you can see them on this all the way to the right. These things were huge, sometimes twice the size of a man. And so when it grew dark, they were lit, and one author wrote this. He said, they sent out such a great blaze of light throughout Jerusalem that every courtyard was lit up with their brilliance. You see, the lighting reminded the Jews that God had led them through the wilderness with a cloud of great light during the day and a light of a pillar of fire at night. Well, guess where Jesus chose to say, I am the light of the world? He chose to say it in the exact place where the candelabras were lit. And most authors think he he said it right after that particular festival. And basically, I think he was simply saying, listen, you have seen the blaze of the temple illuminations piercing the darkness of the night, but I don't just light up the temple or even the city. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. You'll never experience darkness. And there's so much in this statement, in the words that follow, that that show that Jesus is offering so much to each and every one of us. So what I'd like to do is to take that statement, and I want us to look at what light gives, because in doing so, I think we'll see what Jesus is offering to each and every one of us. I've listed three of them. They're in your program. And by the way, um, if you want to take your program out, you can use this. But you'll also see that there are four scriptures to each one of these points. I don't have the time to go uh, through each of those scriptures. So I want to encourage you to read them to better see each provision that we discuss. Here's the first one. First of all, light creates comfort. You ever been out in the cold someplace and somebody builds a bonfire or lights a a fire? (laughs) You get as close to that warming light as possible, don't you? Because you know it brings the comfort of warmth. But light does more than just warm you. It can also relax you. Think of a fireplace. And as the room kind of gets dark and the fireplace is up here, you just, just think of the ambience that it creates. In fact, my, my son, <laughs> he, he, had, he had a fake fireplace. You know, one of those things that were built in a, an entertainment center. And I said, son, why do you have a fake fireplace? And he says, dad, it's ambiance, you know, romance. And the guy's got six kids, so I guess it works. But anyway, <laughs> it, it, create, it creates an ambience. In fact, we talk about it, don't we, that, that, that this is romantic, right? In fact, if you're like my family, a lot of times we'll, it may not even have to be cold outside, we'll just darken the whole room and light a fire to have the fireplace because it creates kind of a contentment and a peace. Well, as the lights come back up, I want you to realize that Jesus is offering the same thing. Just as the crackling and flames light create an ambiance in the room, God and Jesus is trying to shine his light to create comfort for you too. You see, his desire for your life is to have a new kind of contentment and comfort, a contentment that defies problems, dissuades worry, and destroys insecurity. He comes to be your light to bring you comfort. Now, 
Please don't misunderstand. He does not promise a life devoid of difficulty, but what he promises is that during the difficulty, he'll provide comfort to help you stand up to whatever life dishes out. In fact, listen as he offers comforts for this life when he says in our text in John 8, 12, whoever follows me will have the light of life. Now, when he's talking about life here, he's talking about two different things. He's certainly speaking of the life in the hereafter. We'll talk about that in a second. But he's also saying, I want you, as I provide comfort, to have the best life here and now. Nobody knew better than Jesus how difficult and imperfect this world was or how hard it was to live in it. I mean, think about it. He's the very son of God. And yet he has no place to lay his head. He has no material riches to speak of. And the very people that he came to save ended up turning on him and killing him. And yet throughout his time on this planet, he offered his life as a light of comfort. John 10.10, he says this. The thief's purpose, and in this context he's talking about people who abuse you and circumstances that crush your joy. Their purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose... Bringing my light is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And you know what? There are hundreds in this room that will point out to you that is exactly what he gives them. I don't know how many times I have heard people say, I don't know how people get through this without Jesus, without the Lord, because he only brings you comfort. Now, I want you to notice he doesn't say, I'm going to give you a stress-free life. That's, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a satisfying life. That when troubles come and there are many in this life, his peace, his security, his faithfulness can create a light of comfort during the darkness of our difficulties. Like sitting in front of a warm, crackling fireplace, he can give you comfort even in the darkest of times. But most importantly, like I referred to a second ago, he creates comfort for life beyond the grave. Listen to what he said to his closest followers and I believe now says to us in John 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus is building the ultimate comfort place for each one of us. In fact, heaven will be a place where every tear is dried, every sorrow is healed, and every difficulty dissipates. And just think, Jesus has been working on this place for 20 centuries. <laughs> that Keith Green, a Christian musician, once said, think of the beauty that God has created on this earth. The mountains, the oceans, and the meadows can be breathtaking. Listen, if he created all that in six days, think of what heaven will be like when he's been working on it for 2,000 years. <laughs> It's going to be the ultimate place of comfort. In fact, that's why Romans 8.28, which is written in a salvation context, says this. And we know that in all things God, look for this, works for the good of those who love him. Ultimately, it will all be good who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, eventually his light will create a comfort that is always good and beyond our imagination. Listen, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is saying to each one of us, I want to create a comfort for you, a level of peace, a level of support and contentment like you've never known. I'll give it to you here, 
in this imperfect world, and I promise you will have it in the perfect world that I am preparing. But that's not all that light provides. Light also gives us guidance. Now, I'm sure you have experienced this. You're, you're in a dark room, and you need to somehow transverse a distance, but you can't see very well. What you need is some type of light to help you, to keep you from hurting yourself on something maybe you can't see. Now, this is one of the great things of something that we never used to have but are seldom without. If you have your smartphone, take it out. You have my permission. Hopefully you're uh, looking at the Bible app. But even if you're not, take it out. Because this is something that we have often used, right? If you're in a dark room, as the lights come down, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn on your flashlight app. And then I want you to hold it up. Now, would anybody have a problem, even in this darkened room, being able to get around as long as we were using this light to find the stairs or the chairs or whatever to keep us from hurting ourselves. And there's probably not one of us that hasn't used a flashlight uh, on, your, on your smartphone or maybe hasn't uh, used a flashlight or a lantern. And you can put your lights down now and as the lights come back up. It, you, we've all done this, right? To be able to find our way around. When you have this wonderful gadget of technology, you can go ahead and transverse a distance. You, you can find direction in a darkened room. Now, just as you use a light to navigate a room, so that you won't stub your toe or whatever. Jesus wants to give you guidance from his light in this world too. This is what he says in verse 12. In John 8, 12, he says, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Following Jesus not only gives comfort in an imperfect world, but direction in a confusing one. And Jesus knew how confusing this world would be. That's why he says in John 12, 35, Walk while you have the light. Why? Well, because whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. He's saying, listen, do you want direction? Do you want purpose in your life? Do you want to be able to find your way in a dark, confusing world? Follow me. You can trust me to light the way. And Jesus repeatedly made this principle a promise. In fact, it was a promise that he experienced as he walked in his father's light. In fact, he tells the crowd here in John 8, 29, the one, he's talking about God, the Heavenly Father, who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. Listen, Jesus went through rejection. He went through rebuke and finally crucifixion, but he could always find his way. He always knew his mission. He always had his purpose because he had God with him. And he made sure that we too have guidance by providing the great guider, the Holy Spirit that has promised to come into every life of anyone who believes and puts their faith in him. He said in John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will what? He will guide you into all truth. Jesus wants to illuminate your life. And he's given us the greatest flashlight app of all time, himself revealed in Scripture, and His Spirit to every believer to light your way through the maze of this life, to give you purpose, to give you mission, to give you guidance. And so light creates comfort. Light gives guidance, but most importantly is that light dispels 
darkness. Let's go back to John 8:12 for a moment because Jesus here speaks of his light in contrast to our darkness. He says this in verse 12. Whoever follows me will, how often? Never, never walk in darkness. Ever been in total darkness? Maybe you've gone someplace like Mammoth Cave in Kentucky where I understand they douse all the lights so that you can kind of feel the darkness. Or maybe you've been in a building where all of a sudden the lights go out and it's pitch black. All of a sudden, you can't see much of anything. And what you need more than anything in this moment is a light. You need to be able to have a light no matter how small it might be. And I can just about guarantee you that as soon as that candle is lit, everybody's eyes go to that light because when we're in the darkness, that is exactly what we need. Now, as the lights come back up, once again, we want to make the point that this is a spiritual truth too. Because while it's important to understand what Jesus is talking about here when he says, I'm the light, it is also extremely important that we understand what he is talking about when he talks about the darkness. You see, just as we're attracted to that light in a dark room, we're also attracted to his light. But when he talks about darkness, he's not talking about a dark room. He's talking specifically about our sin. That's our darkness. Now, that's also uncomfortable. We don't like talking about sin. Why? Because we've got to admit we're sinners. I doubt that any of you in this room this week came up and said, hi, my name's Tim Smith. I'm a sinner. Now, we just don't do that, do we? That'd be weird. Because we don't like to talk about it. In fact, we're great concealers. A Christmas ago, my seven-year-old daughter, granddaughter, Carrington, asked for lip gloss for Christmas. And I said, Carrington, what does a seven-year-old need with lip gloss? And she looked at me and said kind of exasperatedly, Grandpa, a girl needs lip gloss to be beautiful. <laughs> and I... I tried the best I could to explain to her that she was beautiful with or without lip gloss, but even at seven, she's already understanding and buying into the propensity that we need to cover up, we want to conceal. Now, I realize that lip gloss, there's nothing wrong with that, but I also realize that we're really good at concealing and covering up the parts of ourselves that we don't want others to see, that maybe we're not so proud of. We cover them up don't we? We hide our insecurities, our frailties. We've learned from when we were the littlest, hey, always put your best foot forward. And a lot of us have learned to do that even when we're not feeling our best. And all of us have things we want to conceal and stay concealed. Habits, past, failings, temptations, and we get good at it. They become secrets that exist in the darkness. Listen, when you're hiding and you're concealing, here's what you're saying about God. One of two things. Either God doesn't know everything or he must choose not to love that part of me because how could he know everything and still love those parts that are unlovely? So we put lip gloss on. We're Elsa in Frozen, you know, just conceal. Don't feel. Keep it hidden. But please understand, concealing becomes miserable. 
Eventually, it'll eat you alive. This is one of the reasons that Jesus wants to be your light. Now, he's not saying go out to everybody and just start, you know, regurgitating your sins. He's talking about coming to his light to reveal to him because revealing is the beginning of healing. Do you want to know how Jesus deals with people even in their darkest places? Well, just watch how he deals with those who have secrets in Scripture. Read John 4 sometimes. See how he deals with a woman at a well. Here's a person who has much to hide. Her life's, quite frankly, a mess. She's in the wrong place and of the wrong race as far as her perception of Jesus is concerned. She's lived a life where she's given her body sexually to get accepted. And she, didn't, she thought he didn't know nothing about her, but he knew everything. And still he accepted her. Still he loved her despite of her sin and over and over again. You see, Jesus helping and loving those who are attempting to conceal. Think about Zacchaeus or the rich young ruler or Peter or Paul and on and on it goes because revealing is the beginning of healing and Jesus' love is the light that will dispel the darkness that you are trying to hide. And the crazy, wonderful thing is he lights it up, reveals it and says, I love you anyway. That's why Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, when Christ died for us. In fact, that's why Jesus says to the religious leaders in our text in verse 24, he says, if you do not believe that I am he, the Messiah, the Savior, you will indeed die in your sin, the greatest darkness. You see, Jesus wants to be the light to set you free from the darkness of sin. And never was that darkness more profound than on that Friday that Jesus was unjustly condemned by the world. But even in that greatest moment of darkness, there is a sliver of light for one just like us. In fact, it happens so fast, you almost miss it. Pilate, the governor of Judea, is trying to evade condemning Jesus because I think he knows he's innocent. And so he comes up with a plan. He offers a prisoner exchange to keep the unrest down. The Roman government oftentimes would release one prisoner doing the Jewish Passover as long as things had been quiet for a while. So Pilate thinks, you know what, I know, I'll make the crowd decide between Jesus, who is innocent or, or at least a very nominal, nominal person in terms of crime, and an absolute hardened criminal. A decision Pilate thought probably was a no-brainer was to offer in exchange for Jesus a prisoner by the name of Barabbas. Scripture calls Barabbas a murderer, a notorious prisoner. Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells us that Barabbas not only committed crimes against the Romans, but also against Jews as well. We probably would consider Barabbas a psychopath. And so Pilate thinks he's cut. The answer to all this, but in Matthew 27, 20, it says, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for the release of Barabbas and the execution of Jesus. I think Pilate was absolutely shocked. But to see how Jesus' light dispels our darkness, I want us to consider ourselves as we look at Barabbas for a moment. Now, Barabbas at this moment is imprisoned in the Tower of Antonia in these 
things right over here to the right that stand up. And just about 300 yards from the courtyard where this huge crowd is, where Pilate is trying to work with them and with Jesus. Now, early that morning, Barabbas is in this Tower of Antonia, and he could hear the mob. He could hear the crowd, but he couldn't hear Pilate's questions down here because there's no PA in that time. So, I want us to do a little role play here. I want you to look at the text that's printed on the screens, and I want you to play the part of the angry mob. Now, just a little direction here. You are angry. You are convinced that Jesus is the absolute enemy, and you're thirsty for his blood. You want him killed. So I'm going to play the, uh, the role of Pilate, and you play the angry mob, and you respond with the, uh, the words that are in yellow here on the screen. I'll kind of prompt you. You ready? All right, here we go. Which of the two do you want me to free for you? And the congregation said, Okay, now look. You're an angry mob, not a quilting bee, okay? I mean, you really need to get into this, all right? So you're, you're really wanting his blood. Let's try it again. Which of the two do you want me to free for you? And you said, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They said, Why? What wrong has he done? Now, now, I want you to think about Barabbas. He's in the Tower of Antonio. He hears his name, and he hears crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, but he doesn't hear Pilate, and all of a sudden the guard comes down the hallway, keys jangling at his side. He opens the door and says, come on, where do you think you're going? Barabbas thinks he's going to be crucified, and yet the guard leads him out into the light of the courtyard, and he sees somebody else carrying the cross. He sees somebody else taking upon him what should have been on him. And so Barabbas understands unbelievably. Somebody else is getting what he deserves. And here's the truth that I want you to so desperately see. Barabbas is me. He's you. And Jesus has come to rid our darkness our darkest parts, and set us free. That's why he says in John 8, 28, when you have lifted up the Son, lifted him up on the cross, the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. It's why John 1, 4 through 5, reads it this way. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. <laughs> Even our sin is lit up. It's why Revelation 21, 23 tells us that when we get to heaven, we won't even need a sun or a moon because the light of Jesus will be there and light up all. But here's the great thing. You don't have to wait till then. You can have him light up your life. He can be your life right now because the greatest love is his for you. And the greatest thing you can do is choose to follow him like Barabbas. Allow Jesus' light to dispel your darkness. Come into his light. And when you do, you become that John 8.30 person that even as he spoke, many believed in him. And when you do that, you're not only set free, you get the privilege of becoming just like him. Because Jesus said in John 5, you now are the light of of the world, let your light shine before others for my sake. No purpose could be better because no love has ever been 
greater. Hear him. Know him. As he says, I am the light of your world. Lord, we thank you for being the light, for creating comfort, for giving guidance, and most of all, for dispelling our darkness. And I would pray, Lord, especially for that one who maybe has never given themselves to you, has never walked out of darkness and into your wonderful light, that this would be a day that they would at least talk to somebody about this, more so that they would actually walk into your light and know that you know everything about them but still love them so much that you carried our darkness, our sin upon you and paid the penalty for it. But Lord, help each and every one of us to not just hear these words but apply them to our lives, that you are the light of our world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you'd like to find out more about Northridge, visit our website at northridgechristian.com. If you'd like to stay connected throughout the week, download our Church Link app today for your iOS or Android device.